You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's lesson, Improving Prophecy, Philip Edwards will teach on the how-to and the necessary safeguards. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can study past modules, register for future modules and to see all the other ministries we have to offer. You can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now, over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Hello, it's good to be with you again as we return to our module on prophecy. Uh, This is uh, lessons uh, five and six, uh, if you have your notes. And we're going to be looking at how, when and where to prophesy And in the second part, we will be looking at how to improve our prophecy. But let's pray before we uh, open ourselves up to this study. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your your goodness to us. We present ourselves, our hearts and our minds, and we ask that by your Spirit you'll teach us uh, to understand more clearly this subject, to enthuse us to want to press on and exercise this gift. We just commit ourselves now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We, last time we met, we had um, a number of prophecies. Um, people come and exercise the gift. Unfortunately, that didn't go up. Uh, we couldn't, weren't able to stream that, as it were. So we lost all of those prophecies. I'm sorry about that. Some of you might be quite pleased that we had lost some of them. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, it was a, a school. Uh, but since then, we've, um, well, I've come and redone that le- lesson again. And so that's up online. So uh, we haven't missed any of the teaching uh, for those that are online and distant from us. I want to uh, remind you of that night because uh, you were all asked to just wait on the Lord and see if the Lord would give you something to prophesy. A number of you came forward and it was exciting, uh, stepping out in faith. I'm sure you, some of you were nervous, a bit afraid maybe, uh, but you did it. You step out and did it. Uh, I went to a, a lady who was sitting at the back there and I said, oh, I was surprised that you never uh, stepped forward, uh, Katie, some of you know her. And she said, well, uh, I did have something, but it was for me. So I said, oh, I'd, I'd like to hear what that was. I would invite her if she was here to come and share that, but she's not here with us this evening. But uh, let me give you the circumstances and then I'll tell you what she said and how it fitted so perfectly into the whole situation. I teach uh, on a weekly basis in a church uh, in Chingford. Uh, I've been going there for about seven years and recently uh, they've asked if I would come on to their leadership. Uh, Technically I can't go on to their leadership because I'm not a member of their church. So uh, they want me there Uh, not in a a pastoral capacity, just a a member of the leadership. They want me there, so what they want to do is fast-track me to become a member. So I don't have to be there for two years and apply and so forth so they could fast-track the whole thing. I've been going there for seven years. I might even go more than some of the members go, actually, because I go every... I go once a month on a Sunday and I go each evening. So I'm there. Anyway, so... uh, on the Monday when we met here and we did all that, uh, the, the prophecy, uh, on the Tuesday I was having a meeting with their leadership. 
and uh, they were going to ask me questions about myself and obviously was it a wise move to bring me onto their leadership and so on and we could sit there and be honestly and talk with one another. So that's the setting of everything. On the Monday, the night before that meeting, when we were here, uh, I went to Katie at the break, I think it was, and uh, she said, oh, I had something for you. And I said, oh, tell me what it was that you saw then. And she said, I saw um, a railway track, and I saw a train on the track, and then I saw a signal box. And she said, I saw you, me, in the signal box. And then I saw the train as it went down the track. It went on another track and moved in another direction. And so I thought about that. Oh, so thanks very much. And I took that all on board. And uh, as I sat in the meeting the following day, I thought that was God's confirmation to me. See, they don't want me to drive the train. I'm not the train engineer driving it. I'm in the signal box. What they want me to do is to help change the direction of the church. I'm not being invited to be the pastor of the church, simply to join the leadership. But what they expect of me is I could bring change. So instead of the train going down the track that it is, it will veer off into another direction. So as I sat in that meeting, I thought, God, you're so good. I mean, it was like, what's the chance of that happening? And the interesting thing is, when I travel up to Chingford, I always travel by train. I never drive. I go to London by train. So uh, the fact that it was a train almost confirms the location of the thing and, and just the confirmation and the endorsement for God that it was the, the right thing. Now, another thing that we can add to that, unless we encourage prophecy, make a space for it to happen, then we wouldn't have got that. It just wouldn't have come forth. I wouldn't have known. I would have gone there with every confidence that I was doing the right thing. But isn't it wonderful when God comes and confirms? They voted on Sunday to the whole church whether uh, the church thought it was a good idea that I'd be fast-tracked into membership, that I would uh, become a leader. And I got 100% support from the church for it. So... Uh, Praise God for that. So that's just another thing that I've got to put my energy and time into. And I praise God for that. So, because God needs to talk to us all the time. Now, you think, Philip, have you got plans for when you go, how you're going to change the direction of this church? No, that's the last thing I want is plans of my own making. I want God to give me things and, and tell me because it's a, it, you know, they're, they're on a track going in a certain line and they've been going that way for a long time. To, to shift people, to move them onto another track is a very challenging thing. But God will show me how to do it, how to encourage them, how to persuade them and, and God through the giftings of the Spirit will speak into our situation. They want to be a church that exercises the gifts more, is more charismatic than what it is. So I'm excited about the whole prospect of that but just how important the prophetic is. And I just wanted to pick that up uh, before I start this evening. I believe the Holy Spirit would prophesy a lot more than if we'd only make ourselves available for it or create it to happen. He's wanting to speak all the time. God is a communicating God. We know that through the whole of the scriptures. He, he 
avails himself of every means possible to talk to his children. God is a relational God, and uh, he wants to dialogue with us all the time. I think in my own experience, whenever I've had the desire to prophesy, I have. Now, whether that desire was given to me by the Holy Spirit or it was my own desire, well, we wouldn't know, would we? We just have desires where they come from, if they're ours or God's. But every time I've, and I don't have it in every meeting, um, but if I have the desire, then it, it comes and, and I do it. So I think he wants to do it a lot more. You might have your own experience where you know the Holy Spirit has told you to say something or do something, and of course, you haven't done it. And that's not to beat yourself up about that. You just didn't. And so you say, sorry, Lord, I'll press on. We'll, we'll get it right next time and I won't hold back in the future. I think it's important that we learn to recognise the prompting voice of the Holy Spirit. We have to get to know him when he's talking to us. It says in Romans 8 and 16, the Spirit himself, that is the Holy Spirit, he testifies with our spirit. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit, he comes to your human spirit and he starts to speak to your human spirit. Now, the wonderful thing about being born again is that our human spirit has become alive to God again. See, with the fall, Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, their, their contact with God was broken. That intimate relationship that Adam and Eve had, remember the, fa the father would come and walk and talk with them in the garden every day. When they fell, they were cast out of his presence. So that whole process of communication was broken. So what salvation does, it brings us into this communication relationship with God. He can speak to us again. We can hear him much more clearly. Helpful tips if you're in a meeting and you would like to prophesy, it's your desire to do so. A couple of things that I would recommend to you. In worship times, don't allow yourself to drift. You know what I mean? You're singing a song that's familiar to you, so you don't need to look at the screen, you know the words. Because as you're singing, where is your mind? What, what, are you, what are you thinking about? Where are you at home? You're thinking about a problem in the family? Where is it? So if, if your mind is all over the place, you won't, you won't be able to hear the Spirit of God if he's wanting to say something, not, unless he screams at you. He doesn't often do that, but he can do. Um, so focus, focus your mind in worship. Listen to the words you're saying and direct them, as it were, to God. Focus on the Father and the Son. They are separate people. And so you can have both of them in your mind as you're worshipping. Maybe you see the throne of God or you, you meet God just naturally in, in the building where he is with you. Use your imagination and focus. Develop that ability to listen to the Spirit. If you have that desire to prophesy, just develop it. Just nurture the whole idea of listening. What are you wanting to say, Lord? What are you wanting to say in this situation? And of course, desire to represent God. 
Because that's what you're doing. You're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm putting myself forward to speak on your behalf, to speak to these people who I love and you love because you want to talk to them. I put myself and so though in, in that place to do it. So your whole thought and demeanor and being is entering in to the whole thing to experience what it is to talk on behalf of God. Sometimes you'll have a strong sense, uh, an impression of the presence of God as he does this. Uh, sometimes not. Sometimes you can get very hot and thinking, oh, I've got to say something. And it isn't simply nerves. It just gets hot and, and things start to beat on the inside of you. It's as though, I thought this was optional, but it doesn't seem to be when God moves upon you in that way. It's like... If I don't say anything, I think I'll blow up here, I'll explode. So, so, so you have to speak it out sometimes, sensing his presence. God is wanting you to say something for him. It's a serious thing when we think about it. It's nothing we should do glibly. You're going to speak on behalf of the Almighty. Sometimes uh, you're worshipping God and you're focusing God and all of a sudden you might have something in your mind then a picture comes into your mind uh, just from nowhere. You're thinking, this is exciting because I wasn't thinking about anything of this. It's not related to anything. Just a picture comes and you go, oh, uh, I know what this is. And you just you start to muse on the picture. Now, what will happen, it might just go away. It could be just in your imagination, you see, so it goes. But if it doesn't go, it stays and stays and becomes stronger and stronger. You think, hmm, this looks like I need to say something. So remember, you're the one in charge, and so you take the opportunity when you think it's right to, to start to speak out. Now, you might get the picture, and it stays like a picture, and you're thinking, mm, what, are you, what are you trying to say? Well, sometimes the picture can roll on like a film and you can see what's happening. Sometimes you have to start speaking before the picture rolls on. So it's all a bit nervy, really, but it's good fun. It's exciting, you see. And if the picture stops or it doesn't roll on at all, then you can only say what you can say. Don't make anything else up. Just feel what's impressed upon you to say. So we're learning all the time to become familiar with the Spirit and how he wants to communicate and fellowship. So Sunday morning should be really exciting, shouldn't it? We go to church not just to sing a song, but to focus on the Spirit of God and say, Lord, what are you wanting to say? Sometimes he might just say something to you. Sometimes he might want to speak to the whole body of Christ. But it's not just going along and singing a few songs and enjoying yourself like that. There's more to it now. And so charismatic type people naturally bend towards this. They think this is exciting, we'll, we'll do this, we'll step into this. 1 Corinthians 14.32 It says that the spirits of prophets, that's a small s, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophet. So the Holy Spirit will never force you to say anything. He can really impress something upon you. Like I said, almost, it's like a compulsion, but it's not. If you let it go, it will go. 
but it's subject to us. We are the ones that exercise the gifts. The gift comes from him, but we are the message bringer. If you have a prophecy then, you don't have to give it. If you should have, you'll feel that you've not only let God down, but you've let yourself down. And, and how you could have blessed the body of Christ, but within your fear, you, you didn't do that. Sometimes prophecy is for a later date, a later time. Sometimes it's just to be brought to the leadership of the church and not to be put out. So at first, you'll have to start to just speak it out. But then as you develop in the whole ministry, there are other things that come into play. So don't confuse yourself at first, just flow with the Spirit and let him be the teacher of you. The Holy Spirit will urge you. When, when you give it, it, it always demands something of your faith. I had the uh, impression last week, although people had done this lots of times, they were still a bit like nervous about it. Like, oh, oh, you know, well but they had to come forward in faith, step forward in faith. And, and so it takes also, it takes courage to do it, to speak out, to be a, a spokesperson of God. I don't know if it's fear, but apprehension. Um, I'm always, I feel, apprehension. I've preached, spoken so many times, and yet I'm apprehensive. I'm apprehensive because there's adrenaline flowing in my body that I don't usually have to cope with. And of course, when you're going to do something, it starts to flow and you have to control yourself a little bit. We are responsible to respond to the promptings of the Spirit. Uh, we, mustn't, we mustn't push him aside or ignore him. We want to respond to what he has to say. We give the message, and that's our responsibility over. You say, what if it was wrong? What if I got it wrong? That's not your responsibility. That's the wonderful thing about prophesying. It's the responsibility of the rest of the body of Christ to listen to what you've said and to judge it for themselves. Or if it's a more serious prophecy, it's for the leadership to hear what you're saying and maybe to comment on it. Uh, and, and, to, and to judge it, or as the scripture says, we're to weigh everything that comes by the Spirit of God. But your responsibility is simply to bring it forth. There's some do's and don'ts, practical things about prophesying then, if we're going to do it. And we're going to do some more today, are we? Oh yes, an overwhelming, <laughs> enthusiastic response there. We definitely will, we definitely will. Okay. Please, please don't prophesy in a strange voice, okay? And, I mean, some people do the whole sermon in a strange voice, don't they? I mean, don't do that. Be, just be natural. Just be yourself. That you don't have to, you know, people think you're a bit weird uh, if you do it in a strange voice. So speak naturally. Um, some people, uh, they've only studied the, the authorised version of the Word of God. Now, we've moved on many years. When I was a, a young man, 
all we had was the authorised. I mean, the teenage boy. We all, and I, I learned authorised versions of, of the Bible now. That's, that's old now. And I would think most of the church have moved on to modern versions of the Bible. So, you know, all the these and the thous and that, uh, don't speak in that language either. I appreciate if that's all you've read all your life, it just comes out. But you don't say thee and thou if you're speaking normal and natural. Just... Just say it in you know, common, everyday English and not wrap it up. Because what are you trying to say? That I'm saying something spiritual because I say it in English that's hundreds of years old? No, no, I don't think that works. Use your own voice and use your own vocabulary. I think it's so refreshing when a, an old cockney gets up and starts to prophesy, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you know, well, you might say, call blimey. I have, heard some, <laughs> I have heard some funny things come out of, of prophecies. And um, on one occasion, I did hear a, quite a new convert actually use words that you wouldn't normally expect to hear a Jew. But it was his language. You understand, he, he, he wasn't that long saved. And so this stuff just came out of him. And in, in, a, in a wonderful way, it was quite refreshing, you know, thinking, oh, okay, they haven't heard that in this church for a long time. You know, it's, it's like, and so, because I'm sure his language code has changed somewhat now. And it, he's moved on a little bit. But speak in the way that you would speak. You know, whatever the accent is and whatever your vocabulary is, don't think you've got to use posh words or longer words. If it's, if it's just simple vocabulary, it's good. Speak clearly, as clearly as you can, because awful if you've got a message from God to somebody or, or to the body and they don't hear what you've got to say, what a waste. Um, and so speak as clearly as you can. Some voices are easier to hear than others. Also, when you stand up to speak, face the majority of the group that you're speaking to. Because uh, in church, if we're all sitting in lines and you're on the front row and, and you say something and you just keep facing forward and speak it out, all the people behind you, they're going to struggle to hear what you're saying. So you just turn to where the majority of the people are and speak clearly. Speak as loudly as you can and as clearly as you can. Now you think, oh, well, I remember all these things. No, of course you won't. You'll get it wrong a few times, but it doesn't matter. Keep these things in your back of your mind because, uh, you know, it's important if you're going to step out and do it. We want to hear what it is you want to say. If you have a quiet voice, you could use the microphone if there's one. I think where churches are used to having prophetic giftings in the church, often there's, there's mics hanging down uh, above the, uh, the congregation so they can pick up what's being said. I haven't seen that for a long time uh, because they don't expect people to do it. Uh, but if necessary, if your voice is quiet, uh, if you're bold enough, just come to the front and take the microphone and, and speak through that. Otherwise, you know, give it a good old shout, give it some welly, so they can hear what it is you're actually saying. How should church leaders handle prophecy? I've said about what your responsibilities, your part, and how you should do it. How now should the leaders of a church handle prophecy? The first thing is, I think leaders need to assume that everyone has a massive spirit of rejection in them, and they're very afraid of things. So I think um, if someone 
gives a prophecy, that person needs to be encouraged. Because we're all really very sensitive creatures, aren't we? Even the boldest of us, there's a sensitivity about us. We want people to comment. We want people to reassure us that we stepped out in faith and it was all right. It was good what you said. Don't worry, it's all right. We need, we all need that. So be an encourager always, not a discourager. If you don't, I'll tell you what will happen. For about three days after you do it, the devil will pound the living daylights out of you. You'll wake up in the middle of the night and you'll get this thought, what a load of rubbish you said. How stupid. Do you, you think that that was what God said? I mean, it's awful. So you, you nip that in the bud with about two or three people saying, that was really good. Thank you. That really encouraged me. That was good. If not, it's disastrous. Sometimes I've gone home after a, a preaching a message and, and there's, there's a bit I wish I hadn't have said. Uh, it's usually, it's not in the notes, those bits that I wish I didn't say. <laughs> and, so, and then I say it, and then when I've said it, I've seen people go like this, you know, and then I go home and I thought, why did I do that? Why did I say that? And of course, the devil then gets on my case, you know. And it, lasts, it can last a few days, so you've got to bat that off a little bit and, uh, and just press on through. And of course, if you're, if you're living with somebody who does it, you encourage them. You make sure that you say to them, that was brilliant, that was really good, you know, and, and lay it on a bit thick if you need to, so you, you've really, 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 don't give no place to the devil. That's really the answer, don't give any place to the devil. Those who prophesy will mingle their temperament with what they say. So, sort of half expect that. I'm sorry, we're not supposed to speak about male and female things anymore. Uh, you, you can't speak if you don't like. There are a difference between male and females. I, this, this political correctness drives me a bit nuts a little bit. Okay, so, so you might have a, a, a woman, and this is a, a real sexist statement, a woman might prophesy about flowers and about fields and all sorts of things like that. Whereas a man might prophesy about armies and soldiers and, and, and really they could be saying the same thing. You know, I remember hearing a prophecy about, it was like there was a hill and, and all the people were sitting in circles on this hill and they were making daisy chains. And down the hill came all these people and they were like distressed and they were running down the hill and they were getting out of control as it were and the people didn't even notice them. They were busy making these daisy chains in little circles. And of course, the point that he was making, listen, people are rushing towards a precipice and the church is often sitting making daisy chains. Now, come on church, wake up. You've got to stop these people rushing. And then another person said almost a similar thing. He said he was rushing along to work, very busy rushing along, and all these people were looking at him, and they were like lost. They didn't know where they were going. They, they didn't have, but he was so busy, he felt I should stop and help these people to know where they're going, but he was so busy going forward. You see, it's a similar sort of thing. We're not looking around us. We're not seeking to help or to intervene in people's lives because we're so taken up with the things we have ourselves. 
We have to, or leaders, I'm talking to leaders really, leaders have to make room in the meeting for prophecy. Room has to be made. It just, if, if, if we take the worship team that come up, they have a set of songs, don't they? Usually it could be anything, four, five or six. If they simply start with number one and plough all the way through to number six without a stop and then sit down and then the, the, the notices come forth or the communion is served or whatever, where has been the space to do anything? And I think sometimes the worship people have to be told by the leadership, listen, stop. Stop sometimes. Maybe in your, if this is a charismatic church, say, start singing quietly in tongues so we create the atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to come and speak in that. Create the space. Create it. So it's quite a responsibility falls on worship leaders, but they have to be given that by the leadership. The leadership, they lead. They must say to them, we will create a space for the Holy Spirit and they can even, while they're leading the worship, say, this is a space for this to happen. If you feel the Spirit of God is saying something to you, now is a great opportunity to speak this whole thing out. Two or three of you. As I, when I was pastoring and leading a church, I knew whenever I got up and I invited prayer or invited the gifts of the Spirit or invited it, they always accommodated it. The people always came forward. They were just looking and waiting for an opportunity. Usually we're very obedient in church, aren't we? We sit down and behave ourselves and we do what the leaders tell us. So if the leaders open it up and say, come on, you will find that people will spring forward once they're over the initial you know, shock of it all. After week two, week three, it'll start to flow in the church. Worship leaders then should create a space. Make sure that everyone hears clearly what was said. That's the leader's responsibility. If he feels that the person speaking didn't turn and speak to the congregation, but it was important that they should have, it falls upon him. If, if the person was almost speaking in front to him and he or she heard it, their responsibility is to say, this is what this brother, this is what this sister has said, and make sure they all hear the whole thing again. Or even to call the person forward and to say it again with a microphone. So it would be awful if it was missed, you see. So we have to relax and not think once the meeting starts, it moves along and can't be like interjected into or take an opportunity to make sure that nothing is missed or to have quiet spots in it. Anything can happen. And, and allow the Holy Spirit to take charge. It might be necessary to repeat the whole thing again, what was said, so it's clear. It might be uh, necessary to comment on a particular part of what was said in the prophecy. Today all prophecies can be recorded. Don't think it's arrogant of yourself if you've got your phone in your pocket just to put it on record and prophesy. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And then someone say, what did you say? And you go, well, I can't actually remember what I said. It just, it, you know what I mean? It, because it just, it was flowing out of me. But what if you've got it all recorded? Uh, many, if you go to ministries now where people give you the prophetic, they do this every, every time. They say, have you got your phone? Get it out, right? And when I prophesy over you, you'll have it. Because if it's, if it's more than about three minutes, you won't hold it. 
is very difficult. And so we need to be able, and, and it's no problem today for this sort of thing to happen, to, to just record what's being said. Leaders must evaluate prophecy as well. If something in what is said is seriously wrong, I mean seriously wrong, they just not stop the meeting, but just bring a correction. They could say something like, you know, uh, I'm very pleased for our brother's enthusiasm, but, but the way that we see things in this church is not quite like that. So uh, just, we'll just hold that one. Don't, don't take in what's been said there. You've got the right to do that as a leader. You've got time to think about it and to work it through. If it's just something that isn't very helpful or you think the person was ministering out of their flesh, you understand what I mean, it wasn't coming from the spirit, just let the meeting go and then maybe afterwards go and talk to that brother or sister and say, you know, just explain what you were saying to me and your thoughts and lovingly, gently, carefully, always lovingly, try and bring them around you know, as gentle as you can, to a place where they can learn from the mistake. You are glad they got up and had a go. Don't, don't squash it, but just, you know, direct it in the right direction. The best place to prophesy is in the church. Uh, sneaking off uh, just in a little huddle, doing things one-on-one. -on -one. I understand if it's personal prophecy, uh, like, who was that prophesied to me last week? Katie, obviously it was for me and she shared it with me, I understand that, and so you do that. But of course if, it's, if, it, if it can be, it should be in a public arena because there are safeguards built there. Or even if you're going to give a personal prophecy to someone, it's good if somebody else is there as well. So they can hear what is said, you know, and, uh, and then it can't all be confused, you know. So yeah, there are safeguards rule for all of us in general in general now don't prophesy on births deaths or marriages okay don't do it don't do it okay but scripture does okay so i can't say don't do it but what i'm saying is I'd, to go up to somebody and say, God has told me you're to marry this man, that's not brilliant, okay. Now, even if, even if God has said that to you, best to hold it for a bit, yes? At least see that they're going out with each other first, okay. And, and the, it, it, the, the relationship is developing somewhere, and then you can say, you know, quite a while ago, I felt God say to me, you know, this was good. So that would be encouraging, but don't plonk it on them. Or, you know, a, 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 a couple who are desperate for a child, maybe, you know, and then someone says, next year you're going to be pregnant. Well, you need to be 100% sure about that before you ever do anything like that, because it's devastating. And I've heard it more than once, and uh, it's no good. I remember in my, uh, with Daphne, my wife and myself, um, Daphne was expecting her first child. So it wasn't somebody saying, you're going to have a child. She was going to have a child. And this, this lady, and um, she was, we really respected her, a very mature lady in the church. And um, she put her hand on Daphne's shoulder and she said, it's going to be a boy. It's going to be a boy. Remember that, Daphne? As clear as anything. And I thought, how bold of her to do that. But she was spot on. Well, we had four boys in the end, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, 
but you know, and, and yet she, she, you would have respected her because she wouldn't have done it foolishly. She wasn't like just like doing this thing all the time. We thought, oh, that's wonderful, God, you know. And of course, it's not only you're going to have it, but like if you have it, it's going to be safe. It's, you're going to, you know, you're going to go full term and all these things. So there's, there was lots. She just, she just, she, and we never asked for that. We didn't want that. She just reassuringly did it. So to say don't do it is not particularly right. I'm going to ask Anne. Anne shared a testimony. Will you do that? With Anne, just share that testimony you shared with me in the week, because I think it's good. It's sort of related to death. Will you, will you do that? Come forward now and just stand next to me here and do that. If I had told you, you'd have got all nervous, so I'd just bring it on you. I'm like, I'm not going to tell you anything again. I'm, I'm a real blessing. Oh, okay. All right, I'll just stand here and then everyone will hear everything. Yeah, Phil was saying about birth, death and marriages and um, in my previous church, well it was King's, um, it was during the worship and I got this word and it was death and I thought, go away, it's the enemy, go away, it's death, it's death, it would not go away and then I got a picture and the picture wouldn't go away and throughout the worship I thought I'm not going to enjoy the worship anyway, I sat down and I said to my friend at the end of the service, about this word. She said, do you know who it's for? I said, I don't know who, well, I don't know her, but it's this woman over here. Never spoken to her before. And she said, I think you should go over. So I went over and I thought, Lord, you've got to help me here. How do I say to this woman? And I said, I've got one word. And she says, just go for it. And I said, death. She didn't freak out. She didn't cry. And I said, I've got this picture. And the picture was um, a roller coaster. Um, I hate roller coasters, but they go up and down, up and down, up and down, and they go very fast, up and down, up and down. And um, I saw just one person on this roller coaster, and it was a person right at the very front. And then all of a sudden, the roller coaster stopped. And when it stopped, Jesus was... Jesus was there. Jesus was there, and... Um, and I said this to her, and um, she said... My father died a couple of days ago. He suffered from bipolar. And um, we never, ever knew whether he was saved or not. And then she started crying, and I started crying. And I found out from a friend a few days later at the funeral, she told everybody there that she'd had confirmation that her dad was with Christ. Mm. And it was just, it was just wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> See, what if you hadn't given that? If you hadn't shared it? I mean, God might have got the message to her another way, but what a privilege he gave to Anne that day. She just went to church and God said, I want you to be my messenger. I've got a special job for you today and you'll transform this woman's life what you do isn't that exciting see that's why we want to prophesy we want to do it because the blessing it can bring to the body of Christ and as we respond to God in faithfulness it just brings such joy and pleasure to his heart so the angel came and told Mary she's gonna have a baby there we go then the angel came and told Joseph to marry her okay and we know that uh, Isaiah went to King Hezekiah and said, you're going to die, mate. 
you know, unless you get your house in order, it's going to be trouble for you. So I can't say don't do it because it's there in Scripture to do it because these were absolutely certain about what they had brought and certain. So if, if you're a bit reticent to do it and hold yourself back a bit, God fully understands, but like he will impress and impress and then, um, you know, you can carry it through. Some helpful ways of testing prophecy. True prophecy will tend to be balanced. Uh, it, it isn't like all harsh uh, or, or necessarily all good. There's, there's a little bit of the warning of God in it and the encouragement of God. 2 Chronicles 19, 2 and 3 says this, Jehu, the seer, the son of Hanani, he went out to meet him and said to the king, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. There is, however, some good in you. you have, uh, so, for, for you have rid the land of Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. A sort of a balance, a word of warning, but God sees all the good that you do as well. So, yeah, just, just make sure we're balanced. Have these questions in mind when you hear a prophecy. We'll just go through these quickly. Does the prophecy that you're hearing agree with Scripture? Uh, we could say in Isaiah 8 and 20, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light at dawn. Secondly, does it exalt Jesus? The Holy Spirit comes always to exalt Jesus, to lift him up. 1 Corinthians 12 and 3, Therefore I tell you that no one is speaking by the Spirit of God, says Jesus be cursed. See, the Spirit of God would never pull Jesus down, would never say anything negative about Jesus, could never ever do that. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if someone says it, it's probably the Holy Spirit that's promoting that in them. Don't worry about that. The third question is, does it build up? 1 Corinthians 14, 3. But everyone who prophesies speak to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. We've looked at that a few times. Is it given in love? 1 Corinthians 13, 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, he says, I am nothing. It doesn't say the prophecy isn't nothing. The prophecy is the prophecy. It's just the, the person who delivered it is lacking love and therefore he gains nothing. He is nothing himself. Does it witness with your spirit within Romans 8 and 16? The spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So when you hear something like a prophetic word, the Spirit, Holy Spirit within you should be saying, Amen, Amen, Amen. Or if it's resisting, you'll go, mm, I'm not quite sure about this. I feel a little bit uncomfortable. Is the giving of the prophecy rightly timed? Is it controlled? 1 Corinthians 14, 32 and 33. The spirit of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. 
see, we have to give it at the right time. Don't blurt it out. Best to just hold it. Maybe you might have even come to the meeting with it. God might have even given you that morning before you left for the church. And you go, oh, I've got this. I know I've got this. Just wait in the service until the timing is right to do it. If something is odd, it's odd. That's the end of it. It's odd. Okay, now it doesn't mean you bin it or discard it, you just put it in the odd box. Okay, because I've had quite a few odd people come to me and give me some prophecies, and I've known they're odd because they're obviously were part of my congregation, but I never rejected what they were saying because God could speak through odd people as well. Just hold it here, don't, you know, just hold it and see what actually happens. Is it spoken out of prior knowledge, is another warning. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 2 it says, We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. See, if you know stuff behind the scenes, don't prophesy, don't do it because you'll never be sure if it's coming out of what you desire to happen. That, that's not a good thing to do. You're best if you knew nothing. Often if I go to preach and um, I have a message, it's in me, because uh, that's what I do, I get the message and then I live out the message as it were, I very seldom prophesy in that situation, but I know what's going to come out. <laughs> Part of the message is going to come out because this is what I've been for the last 48 hours in this message, you understand? So what I would tend to do is more give a message in tongues because I want to exercise the gifts, as it were, but I don't want to distort it with anything that could be distorted. I'm sure what I'm going to say anyway in the message, but that's not the best thing to do. Is a person, when they're prophesying, speaking beyond their anointing? Romans 12 and 6, it says, We have different gifts according to the grace that is given us. If man's gift is prophesying, let him use it to the proportion of his faith. In the second part, we're going to look at the four levels of prophecy and, and, and clarify that. But we, we prophesy according uh, or to the proportion of our faith. So uh, you might have a new convert. A new convert can exercise the spiritual gift of prophecy on day one without any experience, uh, born again today, and then prophesying that very same day. Those with authority in the church would have grown into, hopefully, a more mature level of prophesying. And there could be people that are sent of God. They hold the office of a prophet. We'll look at all that a little bit later. Does the person who's prophesying, does their life add up? Mm. You know what I mean? Sometimes you might know some things about them and uh, not their history from years ago because we can all change, we can all move on, we can all develop and grow. But you know, you need to know, it says in Jeremiah 23, 14, and among the prophets it says in Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible, Jeremiah says. They commit adultery and they live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no truth from his wickedness. They are all like Sodom to me. 
the people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. So he knew something of the, the lives of these prophets and he said, it's not worth a light because they're not walking in purity and truth and so The last one I have here is, is the word fulfilled? If someone prophesies something, it, it might take a little bit of time to come, but you should see it be fulfilled. That's why it's good to write it down, to record it. Deuteronomy 18.22 says, If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Some prophecies, as I said this earlier, they're long range. They're not immediate. They will happen maybe in a year or two's time. So someone could speak something into your life that might not even come for several years. But hide it away in your heart. And as your life develops, you'll think, I remember when so-and-so said something to me all those years ago. Uh, I know with our children that... Uh, that people often prophesied over our children that they would be something. And then, because as they grew up, we saw them develop into this. And they were a long way from that when they were young. So that, it's like encouraging. You want to get behind something that God has spoken. Some, some prophecies of Scripture are not fulfilled yet. Daniel's prophecy, Jeremiah's prophecies, uh, Zacharias are still not prophesied, they're still not fulfilled in Scripture. We're still waiting thousands of years later. Sometimes God changes his mind because the people who the prophecy was meant for, they've repented, they've, they've turned, and so God has drawn that back. That happened with Moses, remember, Hezekiah, uh, happened with Jonah. He said, I'm going to do this, and of course the people repented, so he didn't do the things that he was going to do. In these cases, there was nothing false about the prophecies. It's just that people turned. And sometimes a prophetic word could be sufficient to cause somebody to turn in their steps. So you haven't got it wrong. You just came with a word of warning, and they took full advantage of it. Well, we're going to stop there because we've filled the time up, but there will be an opportunity later uh, to exercise the gift again. Let's just stop now for a break and uh, come back in about 20 minutes. I said in the first lesson there are different layers of prophecy. Um, I want to suggest four layers to you, and, uh, and then you might see yourself fitting in to one of these. You will fit into one of them, okay? You might just be the, the ground layer, but you might feel, no, I could push on into another layer. We, we don't know really until we've been exposed to something that we feel the, the impress of the Spirit to move on. Level one then, we call this the first level, the ground level, is what I would call the spirit of prophecy. It flows most commonly in worship when we gather together. It's mostly inspirational and it's not revelational. It doesn't reveal a lot of stuff, but it inspires us, it encourages us, it builds us up. All believers can exercise this uh, spirit of prophecy. That's why I can boldly say, come forward and just say it because everyone should prophesy. The level two is what I would call the gift of prophecy. 
It's a deeper level of insight. It can be more directional. You see, I would say what Katie got for me was that second level. It doesn't make us superior as a person or anything or a better Christian. It just means that God has chosen to raise her up, maybe through her enthusiasm for it, God has raised her up. She desired it and so it came. Like I said, was the desire hers or was it from the Lord? We won't know. All we know is we experience desire. So her prophecy was, uh, was directional. It's, it, she's gifted to operate at that level. Now, it could be that you operate with a, a spirit of prophecy, but you say, no, that's what I want. I want to operate at a higher level. Only you know that. And if you desire, you can. Well, that's good. So we can all prophesy. Some of you will have a desire to move up. Isn't it interesting? Some people are really keen to pray for the sick and other people go, oh, no, it doesn't just strike me like that. Don't think yourself a worse Christian because you don't want to. It's just those that do, they have a drawing of the spirit. And, and I've met some people, they just pray for anyone and everyone, you know, just anyone says, oh, I don't feel really, you know, this, that, the other. They want to jump on them straight away and lay hands on them. And I'm thinking, oh, I didn't feel like that. And usually I'm dragged in, will you pray for them as well, you know. So, And uh, I knew in the church that I pastored, people would come in to me and say, Philip, will you pray for me? And of course, as a pastor, I would pray for them, but I knew there were others in the church that were more gifted than I, and I'd say, get him to pray for you or her, because it seems to be operating in their lives with more, more forth, more was things were happening. The third level then is the ministry of the prophet. Remember that verse in Ephesians where he says that Jesus sent gifts of uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So this is, um, it is the ministry, uh, as we would know the ministry of a pastor or the ministry of a teacher, there are ministries of the prophet in the same. So this is a higher level, can you see? It's not just someone who gets a directional thing, they actually minister in the church. They could actually be on staff. Their gifting could be so powerful and obvious that the church would say, we need you to be on staff. We recognize your gifting and we want you to train us, you know, because the work of the fivefold ministry is to train the people to do the works of service. So that might, might be, uh, it might actually be on staff, might be paid to be a prophet within the church. The fourth level is then, is the office of a prophet. Um, you might say, oh, I think you're just playing with words here. Well, I think there are different levels, and of course, uh, they have incredible revelation. I said before, I don't believe in prophets to the nation, because I don't think we're a theocracy. Now, having said that, the, the prophet prophesies to a local church, but he could be operating that God would show him worldly things or even things for the nation 
he hasn't got a, a platform, as it were, in the Old Testament where he stood next to the king and said, this is what the Lord says for the nation because it was a theocracy. But he could definitely move from church to church um, with a translocal ministry and be valued for the, the strong messages he has from the Lord. He would probably be on staff or he could be an independent person in a, in a church who has a very strong prophetic ministry. These sort of people are usually, maybe in all these giftings, there's almost, they're called from birth. And they, a bit like John the Baptist, you know what I mean? It was like, from his birth, he was separated out to be a prophet to the nation. So maybe people who, or apostles and prophets and pastors, maybe from their birth, God has separated them out for this work. And so in the whole of their nurturing and the way they grow up, God is forming this gift in them. They might be very quiet children, children who pull themselves away, as it were, you know, from, from the general of play of children, not that they're weird or anything, they're just, they're different, you know, and, and you would recognise a difference perhaps within them. I've known a couple of these uh, in my time. We had a guy uh, called Eugene May who came several times to our church when we were in West London and he brought specific words from the Lord. He was from America. He, he knew nothing of us and yet he walked into a situation and he just he just said things that you went, oh, it's amazing. And then see these things working out in people's lives. I knew another man called Alex Buchanan he was an, uh, an English guy, and I used to meet with him on a regular basis, but um, he, would, he would bring some really strong prophecies. He would often be at um, Spring Harvest. I think he was there, and he would often bring prophetic messages to, to thousands of people. So he, he operating in the office, really, of, of a prophet in that sense. So, so there are different levels and grades. So we can all go in with the spirit of prophecy. No one's got a cop-out clause here. Uh, we move into this level. And, and it's like all of you can pray for the sick as well. All of you, you know, lay hands on the sick, all of you. And uh, we can all move. But of course, if God's going to raise us up, it is the spirit of God that raises us up to do these things. I said before about there are different temperaments. It's good to know the temperament of the person, you know, uh, the melancholic, uh, the choleric, the sanguine and the phlegmatic. And their prophecy comes through uh, a lot of their temperament. Uh, the melancholic, uh, very thoughtful, analytical sort of person, often can be quite pessimistic, wise, loners, quiet people. The choleric, he's an activist, he's short-tempered, uh, quick thinker, fast, impatient, irritable, that sort of person, you know. So the, the prophets come in all shapes and sizes, and so it's, it's good to, to know them. Sometimes, uh, Alex Buchanan was a really nice, gentle, kind man, but when he prophesied, you ducked. Uh, it would come across as a different man. I mean, it would be like thunderous. And you're thinking, oh, if he quietens down a bit, you know. And then, and then he'd talk to you, and he was lovely and gracious and just a lovely man. So sometimes this, this prophetic can, can just change in its, its, its form and its character. 
One might start, as I said, with this spirit of prophecy, with something quite simple. You just get up and say something. You know, if you're not used to it, the Lord is with you, the Lord loves you, the Lord wants to bless you, the Lord is here in this place. That's good and comforting. But like I said, there's higher levels where it's directive. He's pointing things out. He's somewhat, it's moved up a bit. When this happens, the Spirit of God starts to move in the meeting and people are hushed by the Spirit of God. Have you ever been in a meeting where you didn't say anything? Oh, it's awesome. It's like it goes quiet. And you think, no one is ever going to say anything again. It just, and, it doesn't, and if it doesn't lift, you don't dare move. And then, and then it, the Spirit of God can just lift. And then you're free again to move. That's, the prophetic can bring that. The word of God comes. And see, we want this in our meetings. We want to experience the presence and the power of God in a wonderful way. One who brings such a word, who does something, they're not superior in any way to another Christian. We can't be superior. We can be a greater servant, but that doesn't make us superior. We just go a bit lower, okay? Not higher. This person is simply prophesying at a higher level because God has gifted them. That's it. God has just gifted them. And their spiritual training, also once they know they're called and God has fashioned something into them, they push on spiritually, as it were. There's no shortcuts to effective prophecy. A new convert, like I said, can prophesy instantly. Remember in Acts 19, 5 and 6, it says, on hearing this, these were the people in, uh, that Paul had gone to and asked if they had been uh, filled with the Spirit. They said, we don't even know who this Spirit is. Uh, so they said, are you baptised? They said, yeah. He said, what baptism was it? Oh, they said it was John the Baptist's baptism. They weren't even born again. They were looking for the coming of the Messiah, which was what John the Baptist's baptism was, but they weren't baptised into righteousness, into the name of Christ. So he does that. Immediately they're filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately they prophesy. Within a minute of being born again and filled with the Spirit, they prophesy. They were filled with the Spirit. Now, God can do whatever God wants to do, but generally speaking, people need to be filled with the Spirit if they're going to prophesy. Do you know you're filled with the Spirit? You have the freedom and liberty to speak in other tongues. Now, I'm not saying if you don't speak in tongues that you're not filled with the Spirit. All I'm saying is you haven't spoken in tongues. You possibly haven't been instructed or encouraged to do so. So you can receive the Spirit but not speak in tongues because you haven't been encouraged in the right way to do it. So I would deviate from what Pentecostals teach on that one just a little bit. As New converts then progress in their faith. They desire to develop the gift. Not all do, some do. And in that desire to do it, God raises them up higher, higher. Two or three important things if we want to move on in the gifts. It's important that we read our Bibles. It's actually important for every Christian to read his Bible if we want to prophesy or not, because we won't grow in Christ 
without a knowledge of the scriptures. That's the primary way we do it. The author of this is the same one as the author of your prophecies. He speaks this and he, he speaks. That's why he doesn't argue with this or contradict this, because he wrote both this and he's given you the prophetic word to say, so it flows. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of God. That's our responsibility as born-again believers. It is the Lord himself, I believe, who takes the responsibility for discipling each one of us. It's funny, isn't it, we talk about going on a discipleship course. Mm, okay, actually when you got born again, you enlisted on a discipleship course. You might not have realised it, but every time you woke up in the morning, the discipler was there, ready to disciple you, and his name is Jesus. He disciples us every day. Sometimes we ignore the teacher. Did you ever go to school and ignore the teacher? Of course you did some of the time, okay? So be careful you don't ignore the teacher when you wake up in the morning because he's ready to teach you. He's ready to move you on to the next stage to, to disciple you in all things. But he's wonderful in his discipling because he knows your gifting. You understand? So his discipleship program is just for you. It's not the same one for me because I'm not you. He knows my background, my understanding. He knows my abilities, my giftings. He knows everything about me. And he goes, I've got this program for you, Phil. What will I look like when I'm finished? Jesus. I've got this one for you, Edward. Do you know what you'll look like when you're finished? Jesus. But he knows you. He knows us all. And he disciples us every day, every day, every day. How long will this discipling process last? You think, well, when Jesus comes, oh no, could be a lot longer than that. Okay, it goes on for eternity, you see? Because if, if you're not like Jesus when Jesus comes, he doesn't wave a wand over you and make you like Jesus. If that were the case, oh, I wouldn't bother, just put my hands in my pockets now, go home and watch telly, okay, drink beer or whatever. No, no. So even when we're moving on to the next world, he goes, well, this is how far you've got. I see your faith. I see your hope. I see your love. We've got a bit further to go, Phil. Let's go. And you know where he says, I have prepared for you a house with many rooms, many mansions. Could these be levels of discipleship? You know, you get these old-fashioned preachers talking about getting their mansion in heaven. I don't think so. It's not like that, is it? That's, I understand that's imagery, but it's like from one room to the next, to the next, to the next, being raised higher. It could go on for eternity, you see. Where was the thief on the cross when he died spiritually? He wasn't anywhere, was he? I mean, he was in a state. But So the, the discipling process, when Jesus kicks it all off again in the next world, it'll take us on to glory, I believe. Remember when I say I believe, it means you don't have to. Okay, so there you go. Um, if we know God's character and God's word, uh, our prophecies will line up with the character and the word of God. So the more you know him, the more you'll evade error. 
The second essential discipline, of course, is that of prayer. We must spend time with him. Can I suggest to you, you spend as much time in prayer, silent, as talking. Just, just try and do that. If it's you talking all the time, it's not helpful to you. Okay, because God's saying, would you just shut up? Just for a minute, just let me say what I want to say, and then you probably wouldn't have to say so much. So, yeah, prophecy, or if we're going to prophesy, we need to know the heart of God. We need to talk to him, and he needs to talk to us. We need to feed on his word, and we need to listen to him in our prayer life. We share our hearts. See, if only you shared your heart in a conversation with somebody, when you walk away, that person feels that was just all them. They don't know nothing about me. They never gave me a chance to say anything. And in those sort of conversations, people often feel quite disappointed in the relationship, in the conversation. When we meet with him, it's not our duty to pray. He doesn't like dutiful prayers. He likes relational prayers. You can just be yourself, express yourself, say how you feel, listen to him, pray in tongues, do nothing, drop off to sleep if you like, in his presence. What a wonderful place to go to sleep in the presence of God. Never wake up guilty if you dropped off to sleep praying. Ever been to all night prayers? Okay. Never go on your knees in all-night prayers. Never do that. Or never lean against the wall with your head down, no. If you're going to stay awake, you have to walk around all night in nights of prayer because you will sleep. But if you sleep, praise God, enjoy the little sleep. The best prophecies come from those who practice what Jeremiah says in 23 and 18. He says this, but which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? So a Christian, when he's praying, he not only hears the word of God, but in vision he sees pictures as he's talking to God. He sees open visions, as it were. The third thing is that God demands our purity. Hmm. I'm going to lift a burden off some of you. Purity. Purity is not about trying to be pure. You can't do it. It doesn't work. So if you're trying to be pure, stop trying now, because you can't, you see. That's self-effort. That's your work. And God, you won't become pure by trying to be pure. You say, well, tell me, Phil, how can I become pure? You just keep your eyes fixed on him. As you keep him in your focus, purity will come into your life because you will turn into the one you keep your focus on all the time. Whether it's in word or in prayer, you keep your eye focused on him. It says in Matthew 5 and 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You can flick that round. If you see God you will become pure in heart. So it's not about trying to be pure, it's simply about being focused on the Lord. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus, it says, the author and the perfecter of your faith. He doesn't say try and live a better Christian life. He says, just keep your eyes on me. You keep your eyes on me and this stuff will work out. And if you read on through that when he talks about a father disciplines his child and all that sort of stuff, it's horrible to read. Uh, We get down to Hebrews 12 and 10 and it says, we share in his holiness. By fixing our eyes on him, we share in his holiness, his purity. Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He doesn't doesn't look upon the idolatry things of life, but simply focuses on the Lord. God hates sin, and so do you, don't you? (laughs) I do. I hate it. It's horrible. God hates it. I hate it. I don't love it. I hate it. When when we slip, there's two types of sin, I believe. When we slip is we've made a mistake, we've made an error, we missed the mark. We were aiming for something and we fell short of it. I believe because we have faith in Jesus Christ. When that happens, the blood of Jesus instantaneously cleanses us away. I don't think it's a big deal for repentance. I don't think that's necessary because repentance isn't saying sorry. You can say sorry. Sorry means little to God, I believe, in uh, the sum total of it all. But when we, when we practice a sin, when we harbour sin in our hearts and, and, and we know it's wrong, that's when we repent. And repentance isn't saying sorry, because if you just say sorry, you'll do it again and again and again. Repentance is having a change of mind. It's agreeing what God has said about this sin and then saying, right, I now agree with you, and by your grace, God, I'm not going to do this again. Strengthen me. If you don't, I will do it again and again and again because I'm stupid and weak, but I need your grace and power to enable me not to do it again. And then we can move on. We agree with what God thinks about it. Daily, moment by moment then, Your heart can be clean. Your hands can be clean before the Lord. Instantly washing away the times when you miss the mark and when we've harboured sin and we've dealt with it through turning away from it, choosing not to do it, we're cleansed. With these clean hands and pure hearts, we can stand in the presence of God. It's wonderful. Every day pure in his sight, cleansed. The devil is going to make you sin conscious. I was talking to some guys today because they said, well, we can never be perfect. Don't have that concept in your mind that you can't be perfect. It might be true, but don't hold it as a truth. The truth is Christ died to make us perfect. So see yourself as perfect, not as a sinner, I don't like that term, a sinner saved by grace. I I don't like it. I understand it and I know the truth of it, but I like to think myself as a saint of God, washed in his precious blood, righteous before him. As we fellowship with him in purity of heart, 
as we know him from the scriptures, as we intimately meet with him and he shares his heart with us, we can speak clearly what he's saying. Courage and perseverance, the last couple of things to just look at here. Don't be discouraged by the high standard that God sets us. See, his standard is Jesus. It couldn't be any higher, could it? That's the standard for your life. But don't be discouraged. Just flow with God and what God is doing. Allow him to raise you to that standard. Walk in the belief of that standard. We have the greatest disciple the world has ever known. Jesus Christ himself. Your personal trainer, your personal teacher, your personal discipler. He knows we'll make mistakes. Of course, he's not foolish. He knows us through and through. We've got to be humble and let others correct us because he has put us in a body where correction can come from those in authority or friends that he gathers around us for mature saints around us. Hopefully they'll disciple us in love. Can you be a loving discipler? Don't tell people off. They don't usually respond very well to that. They respond well by being encouraged. Be truthful with them, but be loving with them. I often think of the woman caught in adultery, you know, brought to Jesus. Wasn't he really gracious? Didn't say anything, did he? <laughs> he said nothing. He wrote in the sand. And of course they're all saying, you know, this, that and the other and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he says to her, now go. And don't sin anymore. I believe for the first time in her life, she received the grace of God and she thought, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> I've never felt like this before. I don't have to live the life that I've been living because I've met with a God who can give me the grace to do that. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. Isn't that fantastic? He lives on the inside and he is there to help you succeed in everything that you put your hand to praise god you've been listening to the arise bible academy podcast we hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please come on back next week for the last lesson in the prophecy module you can also partner with Arise Ministry by going onto our website at ariseministry.org.uk where you can make a secure online donation. You can also now register for our next module, Covenants Part 1. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.